coming to you from the Philadelphia area. This is the Westchester Church Podcast. Remember always that a wise man walks with his head bowed, humble like the dust. A disciple is not above their teacher. And yet everyone, after they have been fully trained, Jesus says, will become just like the one who has taught them. We are in a series of messages called Apprentices where we are exploring what it looks like to not merely be a convert to a certain church or to a congregation, but but to actually be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We're looking at what it means to be an apprentice of Jesus as defined by Christ Jesus himself. Now, last week we began in Luke chapter 9, and we will remain there for the next couple of messages that, that we'll have here. We were in Luke chapter 9 a week ago, starting in verse 23, and what Jesus says there is that it says that he said to them all that if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, and that's what we saw last week, where Jesus is saying that if you want to know what it means to be a follower of mine, then you have to learn to deny your own wishes and to say no to your own desires And to say yes to anything and to everything that honors and that is in conformity to the lordship and to the character of Jesus Christ. And so it begins as he says that that you must be in denial of your own wishes and desires. But but then he takes it 10,000 steps further than that though. Where we find yet another mandatory necessity of, of a follower of his. As he says in the middle of verse 23 in Luke chapter 9. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. And then then what comes after that is, and he must take up his cross. And then he uses the word of daily. And, I mean, Jesus just used a word here in the text. Or as he said it for the very first time, every ear that that heard it tingled as, as they heard that word. There was a lump in their throats as they heard this word. There, there was um, a blanket of cold chills covering them. And the word that, that had done all of this that he uses, of course, is the word cross. Now, as oftentimes happens when we read ancient texts, there is a lot that, that tends to get lost in translation in between. Now, in our culture, whenever we hear that word cross, oftentimes it is, it is a necklace that a person wears as a jewelry piece, as I have on here. It was a cross that was made by a Holocaust survivor. And it was a Holocaust survivor who had a speech impediment his whole entire life. And so, as you might imagine, growing up with a speech impediment, it was of incredible encouragement to me all those years. But, but we hear cross and and usually what we have conjured in our mind is, is a necklace. Or other times it might be a decoration piece on a large cathedral. Maybe it is a, a cross, a decoration in our house somewhere, maybe inside a hallway. 
Other times we hear that word cross merely as an expression of, well, this is my cross to bear at work, or I cross my heart and I hope to die. But never before have you or I seen or experienced the cross in living color under any government that we have ever lived underneath. And so to really understand what Jesus is speaking about when he says that that you must lift up your own crosses every day, in order for us to really understand really the full meaning of this, we, we once again have to step outside of our 21st century mindsets and to step into that first century spirit of the ancient world. Because when we actually do this, we discover that the cross was the most disgraceful symbol that there was. As it is legislated in the law of Moses, it says that if a man has committed a sin worthy of death, and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree, his corpse shall not hang all night on the tree, but, but you shall surely bury him on the same day. And then notice, as Moses then, then legislates, he says, for he who is hanged on that tree is accursed of God. As the Apostle Paul echoes, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And so if you lived in this first century world, and you saw a man who was carrying a a huge cross piece on his back, what you saw was a man who was just about to die. You see, crucifixion was the death penalty of the Roman world. When you saw a man carrying a cross in this age, it would be like in our age as we saw Saddam Hussein walking to the gallows. And I remember how a lot of people had been overjoyed at this. And I mean, it is an understandable thing that, that yes, he can't hurt anybody ever again. He's never going to ever again take another life. But, but at the same time, there was a very human element as I watched this. As I no longer see a monster, but I'm like, oh my goodness, this guy is like 20 seconds away from having his life extinguished. But all the time in this ancient world, you would look and see a man carrying a cross. And you knew that that man is just about to die. And that's because in this age, a cross was the electric chair of the ancient world. I mean, this was a place that was reserved for rebellious slaves. It was a place reserved for cowardly soldiers and thieves and perverts and spies to die the most slow, sluggish, agonizingly excruciating death that the human race has ever invented to perpetrate on another person. See, the cross was far more ghastly than an electric chair. It was far more feared than a firing squad. It was far more inhumane than than the venom of a needle of lethal injection. Crucifixion was designed to bring about the absolute slowest, most horrifically unbearable death that we can't even really imagine in its entirety. The cross was physically gruesome where a cross piece in this time is said to have weighed anywhere between 100 and 125 pounds. And so you would have to walk uphill a lot of times with, with this huge wooden beam on your back. 
Usually you did not have the strength to even make it up that hill. You would eventually have to have help doing this. But while you would carry this, this, this enormous cross piece on your back, you would have Roman officers even taller than I am. And they would have rods and switches and, and all of these weapons that, that were designed to lacerate human flesh. And they would just strike you with these left and right on your back, on your face. I mean, just wherever it would land. And so as you might imagine, when a condemned man reached that, that um, site of their crucifixion, they, they already felt as if they were dead. They had already lost tremendous amounts of their own blood. But, but it's here where, where crucifixion really just starts and begins. As they lay that man out on the cross, and they take hammer, and they take a nail, and they nail him to that cross. And he's pinned to it, and he can't get off of it. The cross was psychologically grisly, where you were usually stripped of your clothes, and you are completely naked, exposed to the entire world who was observing it. And your last thoughts as you died is that I am slowly going to asphyxiate to death. I am slowly, you know, this is how I am going to die. And yet again, it was very slow though. There had been a philosopher who had lived 100 years before Jesus and as he speaks about it, what Cicero says is, is that the cross is a most cruel and disgusting punishment. The very mention of the cross should be removed from one's mind and conscience because so guilty an action cannot possibly be adequately expressed by any name bad enough to even bear it. And that's because the cross must macabre in its humiliation where the very last thing that your eyes would ever see, the very last thing that your ears would ever hear, is this hostile audience far down below you, jeering you. You would look down and you would see neighbors of yours. You would look over here and see your worst enemies on earth, and they are, are um, rejoicing at your death. But I mean, for a mother and a father, this was the ultimate way to be disgraced. And what crucifixion and what the cross communicated to the whole entire Roman world is that this person up here, this was a waste of human flesh. But more than anything, what crucifixion and what the cross communicated to everybody was this very eerie, chilling public service announcement that, that if you mess with Rome, that's going to be you tomorrow. And so you better not get out of line under our regime, because we will put you on that cross tomorrow morning. And I mean, that is just a very brief description of what crucifixion is, but, but the truth is, we're never going to even fathom just how atrociously horrid this thing called the cross was. Whatever we had seen on the Passion of the Christ, I mean, I can assure us, that was the G-rated version of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. I mean, the cross and crucifixion was literally hell on earth. And it was worse than any nightmare that we will ever have. But what do we know about Jesus, though? 
In one sense, yes, our sins nailed him to that cross, but, but in another sense, he climbed up that cross. And he would have nailed himself to that cross for us if he wanted to, because he said, I lay my life down on my own behalf. But what oftentimes goes completely unnoticed by, by us in the Western world in the 21st century is just how shocking and how unimaginable it was as Jesus takes something as horrific as a cross and he makes a love story out of it. I mean, it was just unimaginable that that, that is what God is going to, to choose to, to manifest his love towards the human race. Imagine hearing a love story that had revolved around a person receiving lethal injection at the end of it. Imagine if I stood right here and rather than, than having a cross as a necklace, I, I have an electric chair necklace. Imagine if we pulled into our parking lot this morning and rather than a giant cross on the outside of our cathedral, what we saw was an artistic depiction of a firing squad, bullets in the air just before they, they had struck a man who had a coverlet over his head. This is the scandal of the cross that now Jesus has completely turned upside down and made beauty out of it. This is the image that Jesus incorporates as he says, if you want to be my follower, then let me lead you to the execution room. You see, dying to our own desires, dying to me, 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 this is an absolute necessity of being an apprentice of Jesus Christ. You see, what this means is that every single day of our lives, we've got to die. I have got to die. You have got to die every single day. And it's just as true if we also express it in the opposite way, that how Jesus said that if anyone comes to me and refuses to deny themselves and never lifts up the cross of self-denial, then they cannot be my disciple. And they are not my apprentice. So what we see is that this, this really begins every day confronting self, doesn't it? And I'm inspired so much by what we hear John the Baptizer say in John chapter 3 and verse 30, where, where he says, he must increase. And yet I have got to decrease. And... I mean, imagine what this world would even look like if, if everybody had this kind of attitude right here. I mean, it would revolutionize his church in the modern world. It would revolutionize our marriages and our relationships if, if every single day what was at the forefront of our mind and our heart and our spirit is God has to become bigger and bigger and bigger in my life. And I've got to become smaller and smaller and smaller and small. And so Jesus says that once you have denied yourself, now you have to die to self. I mean, Jesus had a responsibility to a cross, but, but do we not understand? So do we. We also have a responsibility to a cross. And there's a passage that, that so often gets, gets overshadowed because in the book of Galatians, right after Paul has explained all of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, what comes after that is this statement here, that 
where it says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. And I mean, there are so many words of emphasis here that that we could emphasize every single time. How those who belong, notice, belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, emphasis, have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified their flesh with their passions and desires. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. And this is precisely how it looks like when we die to ourselves and when we live for the will of God in us. And yet, you know, sometimes we get to thinking that that sin is okay, don't we? And I don't know where we get these thoughts when we get them, but sometimes we just get to thinking, you know what, God's grace covers me. He's going to forgive me no matter what, so my sin is okay. But no, my sin is not okay. Because long before we get to to see Jesus Christ seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for his saints, we get to see Jesus with a nail in each hand and one in the feet. You want to see God's wrath towards sin? Go to the cross. You want to see God's judgment towards sin? Go to the cross. If you want to see God's love for a world that absolutely had despised him, and that was dead in their their, um, sins, go and stand at the cross for as long as you wish to. And look up. And then we remember, no, my sin is not okay. Your sin is not okay. It's not okay. And yet thanks be to God, though, that, that he bore our sins on that cross. Because originally that was going to be my cross to die on and your cross to die on forevermore. But when it comes to our lifestyle, to our desires, to our our greatest passion in this world, Jesus is saying that, that yes, you too, and that I also have a cross that we need to be bearing every single day. And notice again how he says every single day. There's a movie called The Green Mile where it is about these inmates who live on, on um, a death row in a jail. And what The Green Mile is in reference to is to this green floor that was a pathway to the electric chair. And whenever a condemned man would, would be strapped inside that, that electric chair, it would be referred to as riding the lightning. Well, as the story unfolds in the book as well as in the movie, there is a man whose name is Ed Delacroix. And Ed Delacroix was was an arsonist and a killer. Well, there is a sadistic guard working in that jail that absolutely hates him more than anybody else in that jail. And just before Ed Delacroix is is, um, executed, His guard, he decides that I'm going to make his death eight times more severe than it ordinarily is. And so he he has all these measures taken and where everybody instantly begins recoiling at the noises that that he's making once once he flips 
that, at that switch. And then Ed Delacroix's head catches on fire. And he's screaming the screams of hell. Where now his whole entire body now is engulfed in flames. And, and the most otherworldly smells are coming out of that machine and of his body as, as he's burned to death. Everybody inside that auditorium begins running towards the exits in a panic drove. And when they pull the coverlet over Ed Delacroix's head, he no longer resembled a human being. It was so severe. And yet if we are to deny ourselves, just as Peter had once had denied Jesus, so we need to also die to ourselves every day just as Ed Delacroix died in that electric chair. Where we look at everything that we want in our lives that is outside of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And yet everybody recoils. And that's because we don't want to be that person anymore. Metaphorically speaking, our, our head catches on fire. The old us screams those screams of hell. Our entire body is now on fire and, and the smells are, are otherworldly. And everybody begins running for the exits in a panic drove. And when they pull the coverlet over us, it is now a brand new person sitting there. While the old us is sitting there and, and we can't even recognize who we used to be because of now of, of who Jesus is now making us. You see, that is how savagely we have to say no to ourselves. That is how violently we need to die to this concept of me, 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 and on a daily basis. Because when we die daily for Jesus Christ and we take on, on his will in our lives, what that leaves us with is we are no longer religious people, but rather we are green mile Christians who are dying daily. We're no longer converts to a church, but now we are radical apprentices who are following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, seeking to become just like the one who has taught us. We no longer have a relationship with a man-made cathedral that, that we refer to religiously as the house of God, but now we are a walking, talking house of God, where it is said of us that, that I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live by faith, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and who gave himself up for me. This is why, as the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Rome, Romans chapter 6, he uses the word die, death, at least nine or ten times, as he says that when we had been buried in baptism, we, we had died to our old self. We were raised up as a brand new person. And then eventually what he says in verse 11 of Romans 6 is, for all those who have died to sin, how can we live in that sin any longer, he says. No, Jesus' hands are not the only ones who are to be colored with scars and with blemishes. And what Jesus is informing us of right here in Luke chapter 9 is that this is, what, this is what is going to be the determination of what separates spectators from apprentices, sheep from the goats. 
check the hands metaphorically, Jesus is saying. Because the hands, spiritually speaking, of an apprentice of Jesus Christ are to also be gnarled and to be disfigured. Our hands, spiritually speaking, are to have purple bruises and calluses and splinters from that wood of daily lifting up the cross of self-denial. And yet it is absolutely inescapable, though, that in a spiritual sense, if we spend our, our entire lifetime lifting up the cross of self-denial, 125 pounds of self-denial on our shoulders, we will lose strength along the way. We will grow weary in this. Notice how Jesus is not saying that whoever wishes to come after me must lift up his cross on Sunday morning. He doesn't say that you must lift up the cross of self-denial on Christmas morning or, or on Easter afternoon, but, but every day, Jesus says, daily lift up the cross of self-denial. When I was in grade school, we would have a race every year, and I was never good at it until one year in sixth grade for, for whatever reason. I mean, I, I mean, imagine how I felt when I crossed a finish line first place. Man, that felt good. It took, you know, um, it took the next guy 11 minutes to, to even come, come after me in second place. Of course, when they learned that I ran across the field and I cut the course, only ran a quarter mile, <laughs> I was disqualified, unfortunately. And that is the beginning and the end of my athletic career right there. And you know, in the race of faith, though, in the good fight, there are no shortcuts. There is no option where we can cut the course and have an easy out and to cheat our way there to the finish line. I mean, we're going to lose strength. We're going to reach the point where, where we're going to feel like, you know, I can't go one more step. I mean, listen, it even happened to Jesus himself as, as he's carrying his cross. Just before he dies for us, Jesus loses strength. And he collapses underneath the weight of that cross until Simon of Cyrene comes along and he bears Jesus' cross on, on his shoulders for him. But when we lose our strength in those times, that, that also is a very good thing because God's power awaits us in those times. This is why the Apostle Paul writes, Church of Ephesus, finally notice, be strong in the Lord. Not in you yourselves, but, but be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Even youths are going to grow weary, Isaiah says. And yet those who hope in the Lord will mount up with, with wings like, like eagles, and they will run and not grow weary. See, this is what, what happens when we live and when we walk after him in this world, and we have his power within us. Amen. And yet it also says a lot about the beauty of, of having each other as the church. I mean, how just the very smallest kind word, or the smallest gesture, I mean, just how, how much life that has a tendency of giving us and breathing into us when we have very little energy. I'm moved every time I see Wayne walk through those doors and I see 
widows in this room who know exactly what that pain feels like, just surrounding him with that love. I saw Tracy earlier um, embracing him and just brought tears to my eyes thinking, man, we go through all kinds of stuff in this world, but one day we're going to need each other and we're going to say, I know exactly how that feels. It's a powerful thing that we, we have with, with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I mean, if we were left to our own strength and to our own power, we would have no hope carrying a cross like this every single day. I mean, we would never make it because it's just too much for us to bear. I mean, we would collapse underneath its weight every single day. And as we close this morning, my, my one and only challenge to, to you as well as to, to me myself is for us to, to stop seeing Christianity as this right here. And instead to see all of this more through the eyes of an execution. As Jesus says, whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself and take up his cross daily and die to his own desires. See, every day, this is what we need to do with those selfish impulses and desires. Every day, this is what we have to do to the old us and to the old lifestyle that we used to live before we gave our lives to Jesus. It's adopting the attitude of John the Baptist. He must become greater. and I must become less and less and less. You know, there is a line in the song, Poor Wayfaring Stranger. It goes like this. I'll soon be free from every trial. My body sleep in the churchyard. I'll drop the cross of self-denial and enter to my great reward. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully trained will become just like his and her teacher.